Well, good morning. Go ahead and grab a Bible or your scripture journal. If you haven't, let's turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Church family, I want to say to you this morning, we have arrived. What have we arrived at? Well, if you've been with us for the last year, you have heard us say over and over, week in and week out, believe and so weak. Believe and Yes, believe and live, believe and live. And this morning we come to the text where those words reside. Over and over we've seen them in the Gospel of John. And so this morning as we come to chapter 20, uh, we're going to get to verse 31 here in just a moment. But as we get to verse 31, you'll see the words believe, believing, and live. And I want us to read those together. Can we do that? Fantastic. Thank you. Glad the rain has got you good and sleepy this morning. Well, without further ado, let's, uh, let's read together John chapter 20. Uh, you'll see the words on the screen here behind me. But hear the word of the Lord. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, author of this, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Verse 8, then the other disciple, John, he wants you to know if you haven't heard it yet, that he reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to him, to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will... Take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said for a third time, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Here's our verse, church. Let's say believe, believing in life together. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. And it is so good. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, what a joy uh, it really is coming off just even Thanksgiving week, being reminded of the riches of Christ. <laughs> so many things that we have to be thankful for. And so we do thank you this morning. God, we pray that your word would be clear to us this morning. We pray that whatever we miss out on in this life, Lord, let us not miss out on a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ. And so we pray this morning that you would free us from everything that would distract us from him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been following with us, Last week we were in John chapter 19, and we saw Jesus last week die on the cross. He breathed his last, and then after that, two secret disciples, two rich men, the scriptures say Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took Jesus' body, and they wrapped it in linen cloths and spices, and they placed it in a tomb in a nearby new garden tomb. And they rolled a big stone in front of it so no one else could steal his body. And so this morning, we pick up on a very well-known chapter that we read probably about every Easter, though it's quite the opposite of the, the Easter month right now. Uh, but we, we pick up on, on a well-known chapter. And in this chapter, if you caught it or not, I don't know, but there's three different scenes. All right, three different scenes that we're going to sort of zoom in on this morning. And so the first scene that we see... Number one, if you're a note taker, is that Jesus pursued Mary in her sorrow. Jesus pursued Mary in her sorrow. I want to ask us a question this morning. Where do you find hope? Where do you find hope? 
Where do we find hope in the darkness? Like when everything feels lost. In this first scene, we're going to look at a woman who found herself so overwhelmed by grief and and hopelessness and distress and pain. And the woman's name was Mary Magdalene. And for years, she had been tormented by demons. She had been possessed by a power that exceeded her own. Mary knew what it was like to live in darkness. But then one day, she met a man named Jesus. And Jesus cast the demons out of her, and he he set her free, and he brought hope to her hopeless world. And Mary decided that day that she would follow this man wherever he would go because in his presence, this tortured woman felt safe. She felt secure. She experienced life and hope and comfort. And then what felt like a, a complete whirlwind in just a matter of hours, her entire world came crashing down. You see, Jesus, her one source of hope in a world that was dark and in a world that was broken, was mocked. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was hung on a cross where he suffered and died in shame. And Mary stood and watched the whole thing. She even heard Jesus cry out to God and she wondered if he would answer. But as we saw last week, the sky went dark and there was no response. And so Mary watched as Jesus took his last breath. She watched as they took Jesus off the cross, and she followed to see where they would lay him. Because as sad as she was, she was also determined that she would do whatever necessary to honor the body of her teacher, of her king. And so verse 1 says, On the Sabbath, before it was even light, Mary got up to make her way to the tomb while it was still dark. And as we've seen, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but as we've seen in the the book of John, darkness is, is often not just a descriptive word, but it's also a symbolic word. Okay, and so here it speaks to the hopelessness that Mary felt. When she got to the tomb, she saw that what? The stone had been rolled away. But looking at verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord. They've taken him out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. Do you find it fascinating in her first reading of this this morning that she doesn't even look in the tomb first? She sees the stone is rolled away. She sees that it's open, and she assumes the worst and just runs to tell John and Peter. Because that's what grief does, doesn't it? That's what hopelessness does. They, they cause us to look at a situation and instead of asking to look in the tomb and saying, you know, I wonder if God might be involved or behind this, it causes us to forget often that God is at work. Mary forgets that for just a moment. She forgets that God is at work, which when we forget that, it leaves only natural explanations for what might have happened. And so in verse 3, she goes and she gets Peter, she gets John, and it's quite hilarious that they get in a race running to the tomb, right? John wants us to know that he can run the 40 faster than, uh, than old Peter. He's got some, some real wheels, as they say. 
And what do they do? They go inside and they see the grave clothes. They see them laying there. They, they see the face cloth folded neatly off to the side. And in verse 8, you see that when John saw this, what, what, does, he, what does he do? Look at it. He, he believes, right? Immediately it says that he believes. And then verse 10, the disciples go back home, but Mary stays behind, verse 11. And so Mary's lost. She's lost all hope. John and Peter can go home satisfied with what they have seen, but, but not Mary. Mary watched her Savior die. She has watched her hope vanish away, and the darkness that she had once escaped surrounds her once again. And in verse 11, she stands outside the womb, weeping. This is a sad scene. She's just weeping. This word translated is not just, a, it's not just crying or sobbing. It's a loud wailing. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like this, where the pain just grows, where you try to push out the pain in your body through, through tears. But listen to the rest of the story, and I want you to listen to how the Lord responds to the heartbreak of his people. How he responds to the heartbreak of his people. In verse 11, Mary's still weeping. Now she stoops down to, to look in the tomb. And in verse 12, we read what Mary sees when she looks in there. What's in there? Two angels, right? Two angels in white. Scripture say, sitting where the body of Jesus laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Isn't that amazing? Right? John and Peter had just gone to the tomb. They just looked in, and it doesn't say anything about there being angels in it. But this is the kindness and the tender love of God that we cannot miss. How he looks at a weeping woman, and he says, you need angels. And he gives her angels to bring her comfort. And they ask her, verse 13, woman, why, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Why are you weeping, right? It's almost as if they're saying, where is your hope? Reading, studying this text this week, I wonder if Mary is, responds with something I, because I, I just watched the greatest world, man, this world has ever known, hang on a cross. I watched him die because I just watched the Son of God cry out to his father, and his father didn't answer him. And if God didn't answer his own son, how on earth will he answer someone like me? Look at verse 14. After she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know it was Jesus. What does Jesus say to her? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And so John is trying to, to come to us, write to us, and emphasize to us just how blind Mary has become. Just in these two verses, we see Jesus mentioned three times. She saw Jesus, but she didn't know it was Jesus, right? Mary is so consumed with finding Jesus' dead body that she misses that Jesus' resurrected body is standing right in front of her. 
Mary misses Jesus. She, she misses him. And I wonder how many times that has happened to us. Right? If only Mary would have searched for what God was doing with the same intensity she searched for Jesus' dead body. If she only would have clung to hope instead of despair, she would have realized that the comfort she sought was standing right in front of her the whole time. But she doesn't. And think about what the Lord has done, right? All right, Mary, empty tomb. Okay, angels. All right, the risen Christ standing three feet in front of you face to face, but she still doesn't see him. And God could have said, all right, Mary, I've checked off all the boxes. Like, you just don't get it. But that's not what God does, is it? That's not what he did. Instead of walking away, Jesus says one word. And what's that one word? Mary. Mary, it's her name. That one word, and Mary recognizes it. And I love how John keeps her response in the original Aramaic because he wants you and I to hear her voice as she cries out, Rabboni! Can you imagine? Your greatest loss turns out to be fully restored. Mary experienced real loss, and then she experienced real restoration. Her pain, her hopelessness, they flee away as gladness and as joy fill her heart. Mary is experiencing the comfort she craved but had given up looking for. She realizes it's Jesus and she just grasps on. She, she just hangs on. You might be wondering if you're like me, like, what's happening here, all right? Mary's standing right in front of Jesus. She doesn't recognize him, but then he says her name. He clings to her. Like, what is that about? Well, listen, I think we get a picture of something Jesus said earlier in John 10, 2 and 3. You don't have to turn here, but listen to, to the word. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. And what Mary had forgotten is that the good shepherd comes to lay down his life for the sheep. Right? It's the shepherd's voice that says her name. And in verse 17, Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Right? This is, a, this is an, a weird response, right? Like when my kids, I'm walking out the door or going on a trip or something like that, my kids come clinging to me, giving me a big hug. I'm like, I, I don't go, don't worry, I'm leaving. Right? That's not how you respond. It's not how we get someone to stop clinging to you. But that's what Jesus says to Mary. And he wants her to hear it as good news. You see, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus rose, he rose not like Lazarus, but he rose to never die again. He rose to ascend to the Father so that he might send his spirit, John 14, John 16, the helper to dwell in his people. You don't have to cling to me. Why? Because I will dwell in you. Because I will be with you always. And so this means that when we have Christ in us, we have the restoration of something greater than something we may have lost. 
that everything good you have in this life came from his mind, was breathed out through his words, was carved in his hands, and has been held together with his grip. Church, we have him. And in this life, we will experience loss. We could go around this room this morning and just share stories and stories and stories of loss and loss and loss and loss. But listen, when you have the giver, you can endure the losses of this life without giving up hope. We read it earlier. I don't know if you called it or not. The beginning of our service, 1 Peter 1.3. We have the what? The living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that living hope lives in us so that even the greatest losses in this life can be endured by clinging to the living hope within us. Don't cling to me. But he also says something else. Don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended. And so we must see here this morning that the resurrection proves the presence of Christ for eternity. Do not cling to me. Why does Jesus say this? Because he's saying, this will not be my only appearance. He's communicating to Mary that he's en route to ascend to the Father. You see, Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension is going to usher in a new kind of relationship with Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit is now how we experience Christ. Do you remember the words of Paul? Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The resurrection is proving what Jesus promised in John 14, that his disciples need not be troubled because he is preparing a place for them. Listen to me this morning. I don't even have to tell you this. We will go through grief in this world. We will. But the resurrection of Christ shows us that we will also have the presence of Christ to comfort and uphold us in this life. Psalm 23. He's the good shepherd. If you are in Christ, you will never lose Jesus. The resurrection propels us to, to share this comfort, not just hide it in, but to share this comfort that we receive from Christ with others. And that's exactly what Mary does at the end of this scene. She was comforted by Christ, and then what does she do? She goes to tell and comfort the disciples in their grief. Before we move on to the second scene, which is the disciples that Jesus shows up to, notice, look back at the text in verse 17. Notice what he calls the disciples. The first words that the risen Christ speak to Mary and the disciples. Jesus says, go and tell the disciples that I am not ashamed to call them my brothers. He says to them what? Go tell my brothers. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and their father. To my God and their God. It's a word of adoption. It's a word of comfort saying, I died and I rose again to adopt you into my family. And though you have denied me, though you've been blind to me, though you didn't believe what I said over and over and over while I was alive, I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers, my sisters, because I died to bring you into my family. It leads us into the second scene. First, Jesus pursued Mary in her sorrow, but number two, Jesus pursued the disciples 
in their fear. Jesus pursued the disciples in their fear. The second scene in verse 19, we see the disciples on the evening of the same day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. All right, so the disciples are in this room. They're hiding out. Why are the doors locked? Because the disciples are, they're gripped with fear, right? The same Jewish leaders who took their Lord are potentially looking for them. And it would be easy for them to come after his followers, right? Remember, the tomb is empty, and so surely his disciples are fearful, not only because of their association with Jesus, but also because the authorities will view them as the most likely suspects in the case of the missing body of Jesus. So they're afraid. They're gripped with fear. Let's be honest this morning. There are many times, maybe you even walked in here this morning, where we're just gripped with fear. We're just living in fear and anxiousness. And I want you to see that into the disciples' fear, what happens? Jesus steps in. Into their fear, Jesus steps in. These disciples thought they would shut out everybody, but Jesus has unrestricted access to them. Right? And guess what? He has the same unrestricted access to every single person in the room. How does he do it? Verse 19, Jesus comes to them and says what? Peace be with you. This isn't a howdy, how you doing, good morning, good evening. This isn't a salutation, right? Look at the fuller meeting in verse 20. When he said this, what does he do? He shows them his hands. He shows them his side, right? So the disciples are afraid. Jesus comes to the room, it's locked, he shows up, and he says, peace be with you. And what does he do? He shows them his wounds. Here's what's happening. We read this last week, Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it says that Christ was wounded for our transgressions. It says that he was crushed for our iniquities. It says that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so by showing them his wounds, Jesus is showing them, look, look what I've done for you. I've purchased your peace for you with God. You see, we're all enemies of God. We are all enemies of God, and we are separated from him because of our sin. We all deserve the chastisement of the wrath of God for our sin, but Jesus Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus is the sacrifice, and he has taken on the chastisement that you and I deserve. And so by showing the disciples his wounds, he's showing them that they have peace with God. You see, we have to understand this morning that the resurrection proves that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted by God the Father. You know what that means? That means that our sins are truly taken away for those of us who believe. It means that we are accepted by the Father. It means that if you are in Christ, that just as Christ was declared innocent, so are we declared innocent. Seeing the wounds, it it would have shown Jesus' identity. And what's the disciples' response when he shows them the wounds? Are they fearful anymore? It says that they're overjoyed. The disciples are overjoyed. 
I don't know if you've seen these videos that float around on social media from time to time of these children's, children whose dads have been deployed and have gone overseas, and the children are, are waiting, and whether it's a ball game or whether it's jumping out of a big Christmas present, dad comes home and surprises the kid. Have you seen these before, right? And what happens to the kid? What happens, right? The kid is just reduced to a puddle of tears, and so am I, just reduced to a puddle of tears on the floor. Why? Because dad's home. They see him, they hug him, they're overjoyed, and they rejoice, and everyone watching is just a complete disaster. These are the sweetest moments. When these kids see their dad, they're overcome with joy. Now imagine the disciples. Their best friend put to death on a cross. And then they see him face to face. They didn't expect that. Again, here's what I know. I know that we all have fears. I know that we all have anxieties. And some of our fears have even come true. A loss of a loved one. Sickness. Disease. Death. Financial loss. Look at me this morning. Jesus promised us that it would be this way. Do you remember his words in John 16, 33? In this world, you will have tribulation. Right? All Christians for the last 2,000 years have suffered. There have been sorrows. But something had moved these disciples who had a lot of fears. From that place of fear, hiding in a room, door locked overwhelming joy. What was it? What was it? They stood in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. He was alive. He was with them, and he brought them peace, right? There is no joy without standing in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Many of you can attest to that here this morning. You have stood in prayer and known his presence, You've walked through fears. You've walked through anxiety. You've walked through sorrow. And you have the presence and nearness of Jesus that have been with you. Jesus gives us his peace. I want you to remember the last part of John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. Church, it doesn't end there, though. But take heart, words of Christ. I have overcome the world. Jesus brings them peace. Jesus brings us peace, but he doesn't only give the disciples peace, he also gives them marching orders, so to speak. Jesus says in verse 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even now I am sending you. And so we've seen over and over in the book of John that Jesus is called the sent one. Right, That our mission is to what? To mirror Christ's mission. Jesus sent by the Father to carry out the plans of the Father. He obeyed every step and turn of the way. He didn't live for the glory of man. He lived for the glory of God. And now, similarly, we are the sent ones. We are the ones sent to give hope to the world, to the neighborhoods, to the nations. Do we do it alone? No, verse 22, how are we empowered? Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see fear is cast out. Why? Because the Lord goes with us. Remember John 14, 16, it's better for the Holy Spirit, the helper, Jesus said, to come. 
And so when the disciples see the risen Christ, they now know that God has accepted, accepted his sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, they know that the forgiveness of sins is available to all who believe. Because Christ is resurrected, they go from fear to now having a bold mission, to having a message to take the gospel out to the world. Because Christ is resurrected, the disciples now have a mission. And church, similarly, because Christ is resurrected, we now have a mission. Jesus pursued Mary, he pursued the disciples, and then the third scene we see here is that Jesus pursued Thomas. Jesus pursued Thomas in his doubt. Now, if anyone had reason for being sad that they were left out, it was Thomas. Remember, Thomas wasn't at the first appearance that Sabbath night of the risen Jesus when he showed up in the locked room. Verse 24 tells us, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. And so while all his buddies were out taking selfies with Jesus, Thomas managed to miss out on the greatest moment in human history. For how long? Eight days. Eight days since Jesus had showed up to the disciples. Eight days the word was going around town. Eight days that the disciples were talking about seeing Christ around their buddy, Thomas. Ever had a long week? Ever had fear of missing out? Well, the text doesn't tell us where he was, but Thomas was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Verse 25 says, after the disciples tell Thomas of the great news that Jesus is alive, Thomas lays down a stipulation, doesn't he? He lays down a condition for his faith. And look what he says in verse 25. He says, Unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas was sure of one thing, that Jesus was dead. John, the only disciple there, had heard it from him probably, had heard the news around town. And again in verse 26, we see the disciples locked in a room again, and again Jesus came and stood among them. Verse 27 says that Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. Thomas, see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Again, we don't know what the week looked like for Thomas. But we do know that Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive. And we do know that Thomas We do know that Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive, and we do know that Jesus knew that Thomas doubted that he was alive, right? Jesus heard his doubts. And listen this morning, Jesus also hears your doubts. Jesus enters into Thomas's doubts, and Jesus enters into your doubts. He's not put off by your doubts. His invitation is constantly, come to me, bring those to me. I love seeing the kindness of Jesus toward the weak. What does he say before this in verse 26? Third time, peace be with you. Jesus is trying to show his disciples that peace is not a thing or a feeling. Peace is a person. Verse 27, Thomas put, 
Thomas see, Thomas put, Thomas place. Verse 28, did Thomas do that? We don't know that from this text, but look at what Thomas does do. How does he respond? My Lord and my God. Right? When he saw the resurrected Christ, he knew that Jesus heard his doubts. And he said, forget all those things I've said before. I believe. Church, that is faith. You might be here today, this morning, saying, I'll believe if he'll come through for me on this. But my friend, the fact that you're sitting, even sitting in this room this morning, is evidence that he's at work. Thomas laid aside his conditions. He laid aside his stipulations. We say this often around here, but it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith, right? Jesus is the object of Thomas's faith. And notice Thomas doesn't cry out, he's alive. No, he cried out, my Lord and my God. And that is my prayer for each of us today. That all dejection and unbelief and sorrow and fear of missing out would be gone like it was for Thomas. Thomas was finally and forever satisfied in the risen Christ. The world had lost its charm for Thomas. Jesus is now Thomas's greatest treasure. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, well, yeah, like, good for Thomas. Like, if, if Jesus would just, you know, show up to me right now, show me his hands, show me his sides, like, of course I would believe. Thomas became a believer when he saw Christ, and so, man, that makes perfect sense. Like, sure would be nice if Jesus would do that for me. But look at your Bible at the end of verse 29. Look at what it says. Blessed. More blessed. Happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's where we enter into the story. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is conveying that there is something sweeter to the soul on this side of eternity than what Thomas experienced. And that is walking by faith and not by sight. That's the message that the New Testament writers can't get out of their mouths. Most of them were in the room that day and yet never implied in the New Testament. You know, you really should have been there and then you would have believed, right? This is why the gospel is permeating through the whole world. The same Holy Spirit that opened the eyes of Thomas after he saw the wounds of Christ is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in this very room this morning. And so I'll just say to you this morning, my friend, if you are not in Christ, you can go from dead in your sins to being that blessed person according to Jesus. Which brings us to number four. Jesus pursues you. Jesus pursued Mary, the disciples, Thomas. Jesus pursues you. John has been telling us this over and over that Jesus hung on the cross because he knew our greatest need was to have our sins forgiven. Jesus pursued Mary and he called her by name when she was weeping. Jesus pursued his disciples and said, peace be with you. Jesus pursued Thomas, the one who had been hurt so badly that he thought he couldn't open himself up again. And he said, put your hand here. Believe. That's the message for us this morning. Don't disbelieve. Believe. 
You don't have to run. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to hide anymore. Believe. Believe that you're not the Christ. Believe that you can't fix everyone. Believe that he knows everything about you and he still loves you. Believe that even though you've sought after things over and over that could not satisfy, that he's still there saying, come to me if you're thirsty and I'll give you what you can find nowhere else. Believe that just as much as God loves, God the Father loves the perfect son, so has his son loved you. Believe that it's finished. Believe that it's paid for. Believe that it's done and that it's accomplished. Some of you are here this morning and you've never truly put your trust in Jesus. Some of you have just been trying to patch yourself up, fix yourself with this or that or this. Maybe even just look outside yourself and fix other people. Hand yourself over to Jesus today. And if you are in the room this morning and you do believe you would call yourself a Christian, John's message for us over and over has been to believe. Believe in him more. Trust him more. The parts of your life that you're withholding, your sorrows and your fears and your sin and your doubts, bring that into the light and lay it before your Savior and let him put the pieces together. Let him fix it because in his arms you are safe. For the last year, the call through the book of John has been that you and I would believe and live. That we would trust Jesus more and more, more today than we did yesterday. That we would trust him more. That we wouldn't be content with asking Jesus into our heart when we were five and then just sort of going to church every week since so that we'd feel good about ourselves. No, that we would trust him. That we would trust him more because he's worth it. He is better. That's what John's been doing. Lifting up Jesus so that you and I can behold him. That we can recognize just how worthy he is.